Our text today is, is a well-known story uh, from Luke chapter 24, the last part of the chapter, verses 13 through 35, if you want to be pulling it up on your phones or uh, finding it in your Bible. It's the story of the two disciples on the road from Emmaus, uh, on the road to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem, disillusioned, devastated, disappointed, and as I would characterize them, <laughs> dazed and confused. They're likely running from the possible fear of uh, arrest. They're running from the sight of their turmoil. And they're most likely heading home where they can be safe, where they can think clearly and begin to rebuild their lives. Let's read the text. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 and following. Uh, I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about? As you walk along, they stopped their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place over the last few days? Jesus said to them, well, what things? They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, we had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning, and they didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found the things just as the woman said, the women said, but they didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead, but they urged him saying, stay over with us. It's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us, they got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, the Lord has really risen. He has appeared to Simon. And then the disciple, the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. We only know the name of one of those disciples. Cleopas, it's the guy version of Cleopatra. 
Some have suggested that the reason the other disciple remains nameless is because Luke wants us to imagine being on that road. Luke wants us to experience that in-between place of knowing that Jesus is resurrected and yet not experiencing him face to face. There's an art museum in Florence, Italy, filled with priceless masterpieces from the uh, Renaissance. And when you come to the exit, you find a surprise. There's an empty picture frame. And you walk behind the wall and put your face in the frame, and then you can have your picture taken as one other of the masterpieces in that gallery. The nameless disciple is like an empty picture frame that invites us to include ourselves in the story And so if we were walking on this road away from Jerusalem back to the safety, security and the comfort of home, what disappointments are weighing heavy on you today? What what sense of hopelessness or loss are you experiencing? There's so many things that have taken place in this last year that that would weigh us down. And it's all related to covid COVID has taken loved ones from us. It has robbed us of experiences, robbed us of family, devastated our ability to even function as a church in the way that we knew how. You know, beyond the toll that COVID has taken on families, it's taken its toll on church in a very, very unique way. Church analysts suggest that after all this is over, Most churches are going to lose perhaps up to 30 percent of their membership. There are already churches that have closed because of COVID. They were unable with dwindling offerings to maintain their buildings and the debts and the loans that they had. To add insult to injury, last week, uh, Gallup poll released um, some findings that have been a couple months and up to a year in the making says for the first time in history in the United States, U.S. church membership dropped below 50 percent. Back in the uh, late 1990s, it was 70 percent of U.S. church. The U.S. population had a membership in a church. 2018, it had dropped to 50 and now it's 47 And as we think about all these disappointments and these frustrations and the uncertainty of the future, what we want to know is, Jesus, God, where are you? Do you see what's happening to our country, our world, our families, our our churches? And what we find, we don't know it yet if we're still walking and we don't recognize Jesus. What we don't know, what they didn't know is that Jesus was walking beside them the entire trip, that he was with them. Many people have wondered why the disciples didn't see Jesus on that path. The scripture says that they were kept from recognizing him, and it doesn't say God did it, but there might be a reason. I kind of think that maybe Jesus wanted them to not recognize him long enough so that they could truly understand what he wanted to share with them. If they would have seen him, they would have immediately lost all of their train of thought. They would have 
acted perhaps in a way that would not have allowed Jesus to teach them. But Jesus wants them to understand. They, they were unable to see Jesus because unrealistic expectations. They had in their mind what the Messiah was supposed to do. It was hard enough for them to believe that the Messiah was going to suffer. It was beyond their ability to believe when they saw him killed. And all of that, those those unrealistic expectations were based on incomplete knowledge. They didn't really understand the scriptures. So Jesus interprets or shares a different perspective. Uh, the, the word when it says that he interprets, what the, 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 the Common English Bible translates interprets or explains, in Greek that's the word that we get our word hermeneutic from. Now you might have heard that word in some religious circle, but basically it's kind of like a worldview. It's the lens through which you understand everything about God. And this hermeneutic that Jesus is giving them is a way to understand not only the Bible, but their entire lives through the lens of Jesus. That changes everything. That changes everything. When my grandson learned last week that the Cardinals had beat the Marlins, they sent me a picture. He's like this. Well, through his lens, greatest thing in the world because the Cardinals are, because of his dad, his favorite team. My reaction to the Marlins losing a baseball game? Nah. What else is new? Let's move on. <laughs> my hermeneutic, my lens is a little bit different. But, but now as I think about life itself and everything that we know, the Old Testament and our very existence now gets interpreted through the lens of Jesus. Suffering takes on a different perspective, as Brian mentioned in the Lord's Supper devotional. Our priorities and actions are now seen through the lens of Jesus. So, so the challenge for us today is how can we see Jesus more clearly? We, we don't want to stay in the dark. And, and I think the first step is admit our lack of understanding. I don't know what your experiences were when you first came to Jesus, but uh, uh, maybe you expected following Jesus was going to be easier than you thought. You had this idea that it was happiness and joy, and then you found out that following Jesus is, is, is messy, it's uncomfortable, it requires a lot of energy and work. Maybe you thought that when you came to Jesus and became a Christian, that would solve all your problems. But the sickness didn't go away. The broken relationships didn't get better. Your income didn't improve. You actually lost your job. Maybe you thought that once you prayed a prayer and you walked down the aisle and you were baptized, that that was all you needed and you were done. But then you realize, like in weddings, that's just the beginning. <laughs> that's the beginning of a lifetime of an ongoing relationship, an ongoing sacrifice, ongoing transformation. Maybe you had this idea that once you were a Christian and became a part of a church, then 
then you would be accepted and loved and 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 no one would ever say a contrary word about you or to you. And you find that church people are human <laughs> and sometimes they have expectations that you might not meet. And you receive criticism. You didn't realize that being a Christian meant not only do you believe that Jesus laid down his life for us, but now we are expected to lay down our lives not for Jesus and not for God, but for the very ones who might have a contrary word for us. Maybe you expected that once you were a Christian that uh, uh, this unified body of believers would agree on everything and only to find that the Christian world is as segmented, segmented and divided as just about anything else that you could find. Unrealistic expectations, I, I think, are one of the things standing in the way. Uh, but then the second thing, I think, is to allow Jesus to reveal himself to us. To really understand what was God doing in this act. Richard Seltzer is a surgeon who has written various moments of his surgical practice in a book. And he tells of standing beside a young lady upon whom he had removed a tumor from her face. And as much as he tried with the delicateness of years of experience to avoid every single nerve, he ended up nicking a nerve in order to remove that tumor that left her face with a kind of weird smile. Kind of like the Joker in the Batman movies, but it just looked odd. Husband's in the room, just a young couple. He doesn't know how the husband is going to respond once the mask, once the bandages are removed. They give the woman a mirror. And she asks, is my face always going to be like this? And the doctor says, yes, it is because a nerve was cut. She nods and. Is quiet. But then the young man smiles and says, you know, I kind of like it. <laughs> It's kind of cute. And then he bends down to kiss her and he does his very best to twist his lips into the form of her lips. To give her that kiss. Jesus is twisting himself to fit us. He is going through literally heaven and hell to experience and to give us the experience of new life. And that means he has to look like us. And, and as I look for him, I don't have to look further than the brothers and sisters around me. Because each of you are a reflection of Jesus. And the way I treat you is the way that I would want to treat Jesus we're not expecting to see Jesus every day. But as we look around our church family, we do. And then it, it, the story doesn't stop there. But once the disciples realize who it was. 
And perhaps they recognized him when he broke the bread because they saw the nail prints in his hands. They didn't say they didn't stay in that inn and said, man, we need to make this into a monument. We need to make this into a church. Let's just stay here because this is where we saw Jesus. They get up and run seven miles at night to Jerusalem to spread this good news. Why did Jesus hang around? Why did he linger? You know, everything that he had gone through, all of the pain, all of the suffering, and finally he was free. He was free from death. He was free from suffering. He could be transported immediately into God's presence and welcomed by the the biggest welcoming party you could ever imagine. And yet he stayed. He lingered. Well, we know the answer. He lingered for us. He lingered to give us hope and allow us to see him. He lingered because he wanted us to be accompanied during this time. Jesus lingered, but they didn't. They ran. Their world was rocked on the way to Emmaus, and now it has gotten rocked in a greater way, and they're on their way back to Jerusalem. Well, in a way, every one of us are also witnesses. Back when I came to know the Lord uh, uh, in the late 1970s, witnessing was not a word that you heard among churches of Christ. Uh, it was said over and over and over, we are not witnesses and we don't witness Over the years, I've come to disagree with that idea and that perspective because we are witnesses of the way God has worked in our lives and the way he has worked in uh, the lives of people around us. We're witnesses of how the forgiveness of sins has freed us to truly live life. We're witnesses to how forgiveness can unlock the door to Uh, to a life that we never thought possible after horrible, horrible situations. We are witnesses to the work of God in and through us. In a small uh, Christian college, the dean asked a first-year Bible student, a a, a future preacher, uh, to, to give the talk in chapel. The young preacher worked all night came up empty. When it was his turn to stand in the pulpit, he looked out among the students and said, do you know what I'm going to say? They all shook their head. No. And he said, neither do I. The service is over. Go in peace. (laughs) The, The dean jumped up and said, wait, 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 wait. You're not getting off that easy. You're on for tomorrow and you better have a better sermon. The next day comes after another nightless, uh, uh, sleepless night. Didn't have anything. Stands in the pulpit and says, do you know what I'm going to say? And everybody that time said, yep. He says, good. The service is over. Go in peace. Dean jumps up. More upset than the previous time. Said, you have one more chance. And if you don't get it, you're out. So this time he stood up 
And he says, do you know what I'm going to say? Half of the students said yes, and half of the students said no. <laughs> so then he said, those of you who do know what I'm going to say, tell the others. <laughs> the service is over, go in peace. This time the dean jumped up and said, you know, you have something there. Those that know, tell. What you know, tell to someone who doesn't. The gospel has been proclaimed, he said. The service has ended. Go in peace. In today's world, we're a bit reluctant to talk about religion and talk about our experience because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want anyone to be uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, what God is calling us as one of these disciples on the road, what he is calling us to do is to go and tell. And we can tell our experience. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I suffered this, but now by the grace of God, I am here. I am not the man, the woman, the young person that I used to be because Jesus has come and worked in my life. Jesus is alive. Christ has risen. Indeed, he has risen. And we live with that knowledge in our hearts. And that's the story that we can share. Just like all of us received the story by someone, we also, those of us who know, go and tell someone who didn't.